Hi there, MNBC Church family. This is Pastor Spencer here uh, this Monday with you. Um, You're going to be listening to this, I guess, on Wednesday uh, for our sermon discussion after this past week's uh, sermon uh, that we went through uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, our first sermon in a uh, sermon series through Advent, talking and leading up to the uh, birth of Christ, celebrating that, um, of course, on, on Christmas, December 25th. Uh, but we are going to take uh, time through these uh, sermon series right now to talk about uh, the covenants, the promises that in the Old Testament lead us to uh, think about who Jesus is and who point us to him and his uh, first coming, his incarnation uh, as a child, um, the child of, of Mary, uh, as we see in the New Testament. So this week was the first sermon in this sermon series from Genesis 3.15. We're going to eventually talk about, I think next week is Abraham the Abrahamic Covenant. The next week will be the Mosaic Covenant. Pastor Scott's going to do that. I believe we're going to do the Davidic Covenant. Yeah, I and think it's the last one. That's the last one before um, Christmas Eve Christmas Eve uh, service. So showing how all of these covenants and promises point and lead us to uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, yeah, so this is a great passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3. The material... Um, we have to work with, of course, inspired scripture is always good material to work with. Um, but this right here was just um, just a lot of fun to think about and to uh, meditate on because there's so many um, potent words and, and so much. Um, I think Spurgeon said it well whenever he said that this is like uh, just as the oak tree is contained in the acorn. So the whole gospel, the whole rest of the scripture is contained in this little this little seed form. Um, in Genesis 15, uh, 315. What do you think about that, Pastor Scott? Yeah, I think, I mean, as you were preaching, I just remember the first time that I uh, was taught in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that you see, like, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but the proto-evangelion, yeah. like the first gospel, mm-hmm. the first time we hear mention of the promise of salvation in the Bible is right at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people think, that you know you have the old testament and that's about problems and the law and the 10 commandments and Moses uh, but salvation doesn't come until the new testament mm. and that's not true it's the same chapter where sin enters we also hear about the coming salvation right it's very nuanced uh, with i mean without the rest of scripture we would have very little understanding of what this means right but that we have we have the benefit of, of having the whole scripture right. to where we can look back and see what God has said mm-hmm. in this very first promise that God made of salvation, and we, we like you you said there was a lot on Sunday and there's a lot more that you could have said probably oh, too yeah yeah it's um you know, you realize once you start um, unpacking this you're like wow I I guess I could just start unpacking the whole Bible <laughs> yeah <laughs> because I mean that really is everything here it really is um. Is uh, is um, uh, full full of, of gospel truth um, and such. And one of the things that really came out to me in meditating upon this passage um, of scripture was really that uh, thinking about the, the role of of the woman in Genesis chapter three. It's interesting in the first two chapters, Adam is very prominent. Um, uh, he's the first uh, human being made and such. But then in, in chapter three, the woman takes uh, center stage alongside with the serpent in the role of the fall. And Adam, 
who is alongside with her, we learn eventually, I think in one of the verse uh, six or seven, he also eats and sins and, and brings guilt upon himself as well. But there's this emphasis upon the woman in chapter 15, in verse 15, uh, that I will put enmity between you and the woman. And one of the things that really is, is, is fascinating here is the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, that was kind of rude. Um, but, uh, we just got off our smoke breaks. So yeah, like, how do you how do you recover from that? Um, <laughs> um, but was just the uh, the fact that God works in surprising ways. He takes the we we read in First uh, Corinthians and such that um, he takes the things that look weak. He look takes the things that look foolish. And right now in this passage, the woman looks. Uh, foolish and and Adam really blames her for his sin and blames God for his sin and and she um, she looks weak as well in this moment and yet what I think is fascinating is is really the first ever member of the redeemed church of God is a woman it's the woman she's the offspring of from her is going to be the whole church ultimately of God. The the elect, the, the the church that's going to be in heaven is every single one that's part of the seed of the woman. And she's actually given a place of of honor, even though um, she had been in a place of, uh, of sin before that, alongside with Adam, of course. And so I think in a sense, this highlights again the First of all, that general principle that God uses the things that look weak in this world to shame the strong, but also the fact that God uses, um, also Christianity elevates women in a way that other religions really don't. Oftentimes, conservative Christians get um, labeled as being um, Mm anti-woman, but actually, this is one of the most beautiful passages that actually elevates the woman um, and gives her a place of honor. I don't know. That's just kind of some ramblings. No, I mean, that's... I was I was thinking exactly what you just led to in talking about the the role of the woman in this. In that, one of the modern day critiques of Christianity is that it is oppressive towards women. Mm-hmm. It has a negative view of women. It it does not it doesn't hold them as equals with men. Right. And but nothing could be farther from the truth. Right. Uh, and for someone to honestly make that claim and to think that it's true, mm. it just shows how. I mean. The ignorant they are yeah. of history. Right. The reality is, is that if if Christianity was a made up was a religion made up by men uh, in the first century, then they did a really bad job mm-hmm. making it up. Mm-hmm. Like if Scripture was all made up, they did a really bad job because it was completely countercultural. Right. To treat women with the kind of dignity and respect that they are afforded. In Scripture, right now, I mean, you see in the Old Testament examples of women being not treated well, but God's approach and God's treatment of women is always positive. And right. he, you, you did a really good job tracking through your sermon of the different women that God has used mm-hmm. throughout uh, salvation history. Mm. But even in, I mean, even in the New Testament, that happens. Like the first heralds of the resurrection yeah. were women, right? And a person trying to make up a new religion in the first century never would have made a woman right. or even women the first witnesses of something like the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. That would not have happened. Right. Um, but yeah, what you said is God uses what is foolish to shame the wise. Right. Not right. that women are foolish. Right. But no. um, but in their culture, it was. Right. You know. Well, and I think too. I don't want to. 
I don't want to press this too far, and I think there's a balanced way to view it. But it looks to it looks at some level, um, say you know Adam blames the woman for this, and the serpent thought that the woman was the most vulnerable person here. And there's a sense in which while Adam and Eve were both guilty of sin equally, um, God is going. She she in a sense is shamed. At least in this situation, she comes away with. Uh, I don't know you. I don't want to say it this way, but there's a sense in which you kind of—I'm going to say the phrase—feel sorry for her at some level. I don't know if that's right, but my my point in saying all of that is just to show the dignity that God gives her in saying that I'm going to rescue her and through her I'm going to save the world with her offspring, whom we know to be the divine incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, at the Our very least, yeah. I mean, at the, I was going to say at the very least, God did not curse her more than he cursed Adam. That's right. That's right. They were they were they both had ramifications. They did. God yes. didn't necessarily, I don't think, blame one of them over the other. Right. Necessarily. Right. Um and so I mean there he does go to Adam and right. his conversation is with Adam. Um, right. But yeah, there's no yeah, it doesn't point her out and say this is your fault. Right. And and that's the danger I think sometimes with a passage like this is that starts to become <clears throat> one of the dangers of this is that it can become a denigration of women. We'll mm-hmm. see, this is why women are so, you know, this is why women this or women that. And that's actually not what this is for. Adam comes away looking really, really bad because he was right there with her. And actually, um, he, he um, God, God really, Adam comes across looking kind of like a doofus whenever he says, you know, he tries to make up reasons why he's, you know, I was afraid of you. And God's like, well, that was never a problem before Adam. And Adam, I, I just, I just don't want people to take this passage and uh, use it to, um, especially uh, uh, assault one more than the other. The point is, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. We all need Christ, and God is going to use uh, this woman and her offspring now um, to to save to save the world. Now, um, as we as we as we continue on here and think more about the enmity, the warfare that exists between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman, I think there's a lot of uh, pra- there's a lot of examples that you can see in Scripture of this warfare going on. We and I listed a few of those. Um, the first one that really takes place right after is Cain and Abel. You see, and this is a helpful thing I think to point out why we think that. The offspring of the serpent is uh, <clears throat> is um, unbelievers and such because Cain here is biologically born of the woman, but spiritually he is a child of the devil, and that's why we're told you know he kills um, he kills his brother Abel, and then of course um, we we see a tracing in Genesis chapter four after Cain's punishment is to be. Uh, he's kicked away from the presence of the Lord. He's expelled. He's a wanderer mm-hmm. on the earth. And then you see a whole line of his descendants. And one of the things that's interesting about the, the line of the serpent, the line of Cain, so to speak, the offspring of the serpent, is that from a worldly perspective, they look powerful. They're building cities. They're, they're creating music. They're creating art. They're mm-hmm. doing all these wonderful things. At the same time, they're full of evils. We see Lamech, uh, Lamech um, who has two wives and says, I've killed a man and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and claims all that. Then on the other hand, you see a new seed, 
which is a lineage of the offspring of the woman. And it comes through Seth and then his son Enosh. And we're told at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So I guess right away in Genesis 4 and 5, we're already introduced to the fact that there are two cities, two families, two peoples, and it's a spiritual reality, not a biological reality we're talking about. It's, it's whether or not you're in Christ by faith or whether you're opposed to him through unbelief and your sin. I don't know. Is there anything more you want to add to that? Or I thought your point in your sermon in, in bringing out Ephesians chapter 2 was really helpful in understanding that reality of what it means that there's like the offspring of Satan. Like what does that mean? I think probably like that's... I mean, maybe a person reading that would just think those are demons, you know, or mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. that. So, but what you pointed out in Ephesians 2, uh, the first couple of verses there, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins and what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which we understand to be Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Mm. And so just the idea that if you are, if you, if you are doing the works of, you know, your father, in the sense of Satan, then you are of Satan. Like mm-hmm. you are, a, you are a follower of Satan. You're in a sense a son or an offspring. Right. And so I just thought that was a really helpful point that you made to get across, like what that what that's referring to. Yeah. There in Genesis. Yeah, I think. Um, and I guess I think I said that one. But you know, really, the offspring of of the serpent are really snakes at heart. Um, they have embraced the thinking and the ways and the. They have the heart of Satan, mm-hmm. really, at, at, at their core. Um, now, that doesn't mean that um, we don't preach the gospel to all men, obviously, but it's just, it's, it is to highlight the fact that um, that's what it is to be um, of, of the offspring of Satan. And it also highlights the fact that that's why the church is never going to be loved by the world. Mm-hmm. We've got to, like, this verse right here totally shreds that idea. The world is not going to love us because they're, God himself has put enmity, hatred, um, hostility. They, they cannot be friends. That's why James would say, uh, um, he, he talks about being friendly with the yeah, world. enmity with God. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. And even then, like what you see, I mean, it's it shouldn't be surprising to us. Right. Because we're familiar with passages of Scripture like you just referenced in James or like we see in Romans chapter 5 mm-hmm. where say that while we were still enemies yeah mm-hmm. christ died mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. and so yes of course we preach the gospel to those who are enemies yeah. who are sons of the devil because we all were right before right. we came to faith in christ right. we were all god's that's what it means that yeah. we were god's enemies yes and uh well the woman and and the man adam and eve were at one point offspring of the serpent the minute that they believed his his mm-hmm. his lie mm-hmm. they did and then god rescued them and established the church out of a sinful world right i mean so in a sense that was already um that that was true in their case even mm-hmm. right when you see him rescuing them right here and it happens yeah. for all of us that way yeah mm-hmm. yeah um one of the passages of scripture as well that you see this conflict really played out well and described as Revelation chapter 12. The whole thing is about this conflict hmm. that exists. Um, we see there at the very beginning of Revelation chapter 12, a woman. And, uh, well, let me let me turn there. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's there's those pastors who always say, I love to hear the rustling of those pages. And babe, you can hear the rustling of our pages in the through this uh, microphone. Um, 
Yeah, he said, it says here, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. The point there seeming, the child, it seems pretty obvious, is Jesus Christ. That's fulfilling Psalm 2. Um, you will rule them with a rod of iron, the king of kings, the Davidic king, the true uh, offspring of the woman. And then here's the great red dragon, that ancient serpent there who's ready to devour the child. And then after he is taken up to heaven, we're told, the dragon then comes to wage war, we're told, on the woman and on the rest of her offspring, Mm. on those who keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. Mm. So while we don't do things in order to... We don't hate um, sinners. We don't hate sinners in the world. And we don't do things unnecessarily to um, stir up the ire of the world. Like you said, uh, Scott, we, we can't be surprised, though, that there's this conflict. There is really a spiritual war that's been going on for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so we can't be surprised. Um, if we were to read this passage of Scripture and, and meditate upon it more, um, I mean, the, the verb, even the, even the word there, it says the dragon became furious and with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's the conflict we're engaged in. Mm-hmm. So it's powerful stuff, isn't it? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I, think, I mean, what was coming to mind, like that, the, the description of Jesus mm. in this passage of one who will rule with a rod of iron. That sounds very frightening mm. and terrifying, and we know that Christ is is our is the judge, um, mm-hmm. and so I just I'm thinking of that. If that is true, we shouldn't have to make we shouldn't feel like we have to make a connection talking about how we are enemies of God that will be judged in in terms of that means that we should treat sinners with contempt, right, and as our enemies. And we should position ourselves as Christians against this world and like we're fighting the world. Mm-hmm. Because what we have, I mean, we're celebrating Advent and the incarnation of Christ. Mm-hmm. When when Christ came incarnate, when he was here, he was still the judge. He right. was still the one to be the ruler of all um, when this happened. But that is not how he positioned himself towards sinners. Right. That, I mean, the, the time for the judgment has not yet come. Right. And right. and even if it was to time to come, it's not our role right. to be the judge. Right. Uh, we've been given a message of salvation mm-hmm. and of grace that is offered mm-hmm. to all. Right. And so right. we offer that. Yes. Um, and so I just I, I guess I'm just trying to make it clear uh, for anybody listening that we can believe this is true and still be a people of grace. Yeah. Because yeah. first of all, we have to believe that it was true of us. Yep. And if we've been offered grace. And we see ourselves as the rotten, dirty sinners that we are or were. Uh, then we should be eager to mm-hmm. extend that same grace to others. Right, right. Um, I don't know. That's just what I was thinking. Of. Yeah, no, that's um, 
Well, there's that song. Uh, it's that Getty song. What's it say? Um, our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. So um, I think that's a helpful way to phrase it because um, we want to free the captive souls, but we want to rage against the captor, Satan himself, mm-hmm. uh, because we, we do pray for the downfall of his kingdom. And it has come, is is being brought down right now, and mm-hmm. will one day finally be fully. Um, so we are to pray for that and to seek that, because his kingdom does no good to anybody, even under his realm. Mm-hmm. The forces, the 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 sons of disobedience. Um, but at the same time, we're to love those who have been called, who have been held captive by him. That's what Jesus did. Um, Jesus steadfastly opposed the evil one, but loved his enemies and laid down his life for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's kind of a both, both and, um, uh, a thing there. Any other thoughts you have about this, Scott? No. Okay. We're at 21 minutes right now on, on the timer. There you go. 21 minutes on the timer. So, um, next week is, is, uh, Abraham, um, and such. Any hints do you think on how this, connects to abraham i don't like giving away hints it's like one of those closing scenes in a movie right you stay through all the credits right i mean people can think that like they can stay on here for the next five minutes when we just talk and ramble right like we're gonna have a hint but i don't think we will we're just gonna you're just gonna have to sit through the credits that was the wrong button that was the wrong button i don't know what that was that was supposed to be a sad trombone (laughs) <laughs> okay all right well never mind you know what i think it's, we're done it's not labeled, uh, right it's kind of late yeah well, you gotta switch it over i think on the things okay um thanks for listening to this we hope it's been helpful um as we talked about this this really great passage i would encourage you um to think about this uh, you know if you're a reader i don't know if anybody is anymore but um if you are a reader you know charles spurgeon you can find this sermon online where he has some really good stuff on a sermon that he preached on uh, Genesis uh, 3.15. It's really, really good. Um, and such. And there's just so much good stuff to meditate upon this, to remind ourselves about the grace that's found uh, for us in Jesus Christ, uh, the great gospel of our salvation, and how um, we have the promise that eventually we see also in Romans chapter 16 that God will soon put and crush Satan under our feet. So we get to, even though... Um, you know, like, um, you know, like I, I pulled off multiple, multiple movie illustrations. Only one of those was planned. Yeah. I did three. You've been watching a lot of movies. Apparently, apparently. <laughs> but that one about Jim Braddock, right, where the boxer, and one of the things they said is they feel like he's fighting for them. The reality is, is Jesus really was fighting for us. And um, as we're all with our ears right next to the radio, um, with our Bibles opened, and we're seeing whether or not our champion's going to win. He won, and so now we get to enter into his victory. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's a wonderful thing to think about, that he's our champion. He has slayed the giant, the the dragon. And uh, and so we're free, and so now we can live um, in the good news of, uh, of what's been done. Mm. So, okay. Is there any other comments you have before we wrap up? Okay. Okay. All right. We'll wrap up. Thanks so much for listening to this. Uh, Have a great week. Take care. God bless.